As we consider the meaning of Christmas, uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 20 from the gospel, the story about Jesus' life that his um, disciple, John, wrote from his own um, recollections and eyewitness testimony. And here is, here is what we read. This is, uh, to set the setting, this is a meeting that he, Jesus had with his di- disciples. And it's a lengthy discussion in 14 through 16 that's really amazing and beautiful and powerful. And I recommend you can read the whole thing. And uh, you won't um, be disappointed. But we're going to just look at this one section. And I'll explain a little bit more about the setting as we go through. So let's listen to God's holy and inspired word. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, And will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live. You also will live. On that day. You will realize that I am in my father. And you are in me. And I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them. Is the one who loves me. The one who loves me. Will be loved by my father. And I too will love them. And show myself to them. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look at your word today, we pray, O Lord, that as you taught the disciples in that upper room long ago, you would teach us. Thank you that we are gathered here together to celebrate the coming of your Son, our Savior, into this world. And that even though he is not with us in his human nature, yet he, as he promised, he sent the Holy Spirit amongst us. And so we have your presence, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, with us. We pray, O Lord, that we might see that and experience that, that you would speak to each person who is here, who is watching online, and that your, your blessing would be upon us, and that your Son might be glorified in our hearts and lives 
to the joy and peace and hope of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, I read a a post of someone, uh, a friend of mine, and talking about Christmas, and they wrote about holiday traditions and family, and and also about uh, gathering together and uh, nostalgia and so on, all the things that you've done. And um, sometimes people react to that and they'll say, yeah, but we need to remember the reason for the season, uh, which is Jesus. But I've been thinking about that a little bit, and I I think that um, we need to see that when families gather, when people bring in friends, when they gather to enjoy uh, good things that God has provided, that is the reason for the season. Because God has come into this world, not simply to save our souls, but to restore creation, to restore the world as it is. He wants to bring families back together. He wants to see relationships healed. He wants to see community established. He wants to see the poor taken care of and prospering. He wants to see us enjoying and not abusing the good things he's given to us to his glory. And so that is, in a way, the reason for the season. And, but we must also admit that we have to see that, of course, there is a bigger purpose beyond that. And indeed, all of that restoration is rooted in this, that we would connect with God himself the one who has made us. And that's what we learn about in this passage. We, take back, we go back to a time in which Jesus and his disciples were celebrating a holiday. And they probably had much of the excitement that you all are having now as you're preparing to eat things and enjoy things and time with friends, maybe see some people that you haven't seen for a while, having people come home who've gone away and you're going to see them you're going to see them again. And Jesus was beginning there to celebrate with his some of his closest friends the night of the Passover when they remember when God had brought the people of Israel out of Egypt from oppression and slavery into the land of Canaan. And so at this at this they're gathering there at this holiday time, at this time of the big feast and what is Jesus going to say to them? Well, the first thing he says is that he's leaving. He's going away. He's going away, and he's going there to prepare a place for them. He's going somewhere else to prepare a place for them. Where is he going? He's going to what he calls his father's house. Sometimes we think of this as heaven. It is described in the Bible in a variety of ways, but one way I like to think about it in light of the Scriptures is the, is the father's throne room. It is the, the sort of the palace of the king. And it's connected to this world, but it's, we might say, in a, in a different dimension. Might be a way to think about that. And what we observe in the scriptures and what we learn from, about, about what God teaches us about heaven. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming to give you a place, you might say, in the palace of the king, in the palace of my father. And so even though he's leaving... He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says that there's good news, though. I am coming back. And he will take them there. And moreover, they know the very way to this place. They know how to get to the Father's palace, to the access to the God of the universe who has created us and who has made us. And so they hear this. This is what Jesus says. I know this is where I'm going, and you know the way to this place. And Thomas says, 
Lord, we don't even know where you're going, let alone how to get there. And we have to appreciate the fact that Thomas was willing to ask this question. And when we encounter the teaching of Jesus, we should recognize that God is willing to receive our questions. He's willing to receive our doubts. He's not afraid of what we might say to him. He's not afraid of what we might look into. He's not afraid of what we might examine. He is not afraid of what we might say. He's been around. He can handle it. An example of this is a man named Nabil Qureshi. read his book recently. And Nabil Qureshi was not inclined to ask questions about Christianity. He had studied his own faith, and he was confident that the case for Islam was unassailable and that of the Christian faith was weak. He grew up in America um, in a Muslim household, and uh, he was, they were very devout, and they, they taught them the ways of their faith, and he imbibed it. And so, obviously, meeting many people as he was in school who said they were Christians, he asked them questions about it. And he said, hey, what do you think of this? This is what I see. Why do you say that, that Jesus is God, for example? And what he, he reports is that he didn't recall hardly anybody giving him any sort of answer whatsoever. And it's kind of an interesting thing for, to, to think about as you read this book. Is, uh, are, are we really clear on what we even believe? But then when he went to college, um, he met some Christians who gave him some answers and, and challenged him. But the interesting thing is they didn't do it in a way that was like, they didn't, the thing that struck me is that they didn't do it in a way that was like, hey, you're bad, we're the, you're the bad guy, we're the good guy, you're the dumb guy, we're the smart guy. They, they engaged him as a person who deserved respect, whom they loved, and built very strong friendships with. This became one of his best friends. And they discussed everything. And so he could share what he thought. And I really think that that's kind of, that's kind of how Jesus comes to us, is that he's, he's ready to receive us where we are, he's ready to receive our questions, He's not afraid of that, and he's willing to come alongside us and meet us where we are. And so Jesus, because, and moreover, questions open up amazing things. This verse that we quoted or read to you in verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, is one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. It's one that people quote all the time as a declaration of what we think about Jesus based on what he said. But it wouldn't have happened had Thomas not asked this question. We would not have this verse had Thomas not first engaged. And, it wouldn't, and Thomas wouldn't have gauged, engaged if Jesus had not engaged with him. And so we have this amazing verse. that Jesus says this astonishing thing. When you think about coming to the Father, he says, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, the God of the universe, except through me. That's an astonishing claim for any human being to make. But it gets even more astonishing as they press into it and still try to figure it out. What, what is Jesus saying here? And so Philip, another one of his friends, says to him, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And so we see that Jesus has an answer to that. He says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen 
the Father. In other words, you want to know who the God of the universe is that created you? Just look at me, and you got it. That is an amazing claim. Not one of us can say that. If someone asks about God, we can't just simply say, hey, you want to understand God? Just get to know me. We, any person like that, we might say, that person is, that person is a sort of crazy person. Or that person is, is trying to get something from me. He's trying to, to manipulate me. If they said, in me, you want to encounter God? You, it's just me. That's in essence what Jesus is saying. And the thing is, when we think about Jesus, we got to ask, you know, you ask people, what do you think of Jesus? And I remember I started doing that as a young age. I just said, I, I just talked to people about that. And the one, the one conversation always sticks in my mind is someone who says, I think he's kind of a John Wayne type character. He's, or he's, other people say he's a good teacher. But really, he doesn't really allow us to think of himself as just a, a hero or a teacher because he claims to be so much more that he claims to be the very manifestation of God himself on earth. So he hasn't really allowed us to think of him as just a good teacher or a John Wayne-like character. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, probably many of you have seen his movies, he was an atheist. He didn't even believe there was God. But he realized that he couldn't just think of Jesus as a good teacher. He saw things that what Jesus said here in Matthew, John 14, John 14, uh, verse 9, verse 6, and verse 1, and he said, he is not, these aren't words of a good man. Anyone who claims, says these types of words is usually what we would think of as a charlatan or, uh, or a crazy person. But when you look at what Jesus says and you look at how he comes to us, these aren't the words of a crazy person. And so he said the only real explanation of Jesus, as astounding as it is, is that he is actually what he said to be. That's the only thing that fits all the facts. And so C.S. Lewis, an atheist, became a follower of Jesus. And you can kind of see that reflected in his uh, movies, the Narnia, or the books, the Chronicles of Narnia. This can be a stumbling block for Christmas. It's kind of hard to grasp. I admit a lot of times I, I come back to it and I'm like, man, is this, what is this? This is like so big, it's so far beyond me. I mean, I struggle with it at times too. But it can also be a cornerstone because it's something you can build a, your life on. Imagine, think of how amazing this is. That, you know, you think of connecting with God and he's kind of out there and it's like, what do we mean by God? But what if he said, I'm going to become one of you so that I can connect with you and so that you can know me and so that our relationship can be restored and everything can be restored. That's what Jesus is saying. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, you might ask, well, what does it mean to actually have any sort of relationship with Jesus? After all, he's not here in this building, and you can't find him anywhere on this planet. So, how do we interact with Jesus? How do you connect with him in a way that will help you connect with God? Well, in a way, it's the same question the disciples were actually having because they had lived with Jesus in his human flesh and Jesus was about to leave. And so how would they connect with him? 
Well, he told them, you have a relationship with him through his words. He may be gone in his human nature, but his commands and his words remain. As he says later on in this in his statements, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will be very fruitful. So we have a relationship with him through his words. By believing his word, we accept the testimony about him. We have a relationship with him through obeying his word, which means loving him, loving our neighbors, as he said. This is his commands. And so we do what he says. We connect with the Father. We connect with one another. And we have a relationship with him through asking things of him. As he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, interesting thing about Nabil Qureshi, whom I mentioned earlier. He actually, as as he studied, he talked with his friends, he he came convicted that the Bible is true, that the Christian faith was true, and that he actually mentally believed that Jesus was actually the Savior of the world and that he needed to embrace him as the savior of the world and leave his own faith and embrace the faith in Christ. And he said, that's actually what I see as verifiable. But he couldn't take that step because it was really hard because he loved his family. He knew it would be tough. He, he knew it would be tough in his community. And it's just what he was raised in. And so one of his friends to him said to him, he said, why don't you just ask Jesus to make himself real to you if he's really there? If he's the truth. And Jesus did that in an astounding way. And that's how he took that final step. I won't go into all that it is. If you want to read about it yourself, you can read his book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And you'll find what happened there. Now, let me conclude with an encouragement to take that step. Because what Jesus says is, if you pursue that relationship with him, then he will do several things. He will give the Holy Spirit. So he won't leave you. He will come and be with you. Even though he's gone into heaven in his human nature, he's still here through his Holy Spirit, and he will not leave you as an orphan. He won't leave you alone. I know all of us struggle with loneliness, and some, sometimes at Christmas time it can be the worst. But uh, we also see that Jesus has said, I'll be with you. He says he will give his resources. Ask for anything in his name, and you can receive it. There's no type of problem where his resources are not available. He says he will give his power. He will give his power. We can do big and great things through Jesus. He actually says, those who believe in me will do greater things than I have done. I'm very cautious about saying that, but that's what he says. And we can see that his impact has been all over the world. An interesting one, I'll just conclude with this, just to kind of try and tie some of these things together in a kind of a simple way. Um, how many of you drove in here with radial tires? I would never even known that until this week. But actually, 90% of cars have radial tires. And it was a big advance in, in tires. And it was in, invented by a company called Michelin. Francois Michelin um, invented this with his team in the 1940s. And why did they do that? Because they believed in human potential. They believed that humans were made to be creative and that, we could, that a better tire was possible. And so that's where he felt called to work. But why did he believe that there was so much human potential? He believed it because of his faith. He believes that humans were made to reflect 
God as his image in their creativity. A company, he said, was made to unleash the creativity of its workers to accomplish great things to the glory of God. So he made the better tire. But more than that, he established an atmosphere where creativity could flourish to the glory of God. He, had, he believed that people could, under God, do amazing things. And so he had a bigger vision that was rooted in his faith in Christ. And that's connected to the tires that we drive every day. This is just one tiny example of how Christ makes a difference. He gives us a vision to do something greater for his glory, for the people around us, and for ourselves. That's the difference of the Christ who was born and yet has gone away has made. It's the difference he makes because when we see Jesus, we're not seeing a man who has has died and is no longer connected to us. We are seeing one who is the very manifestation of the Father, God himself. He's not a teacher who simply taught and left us his teachings, but he is one who died and rose again and will come again with glory. And that's the promise and hope of Christmas, that we connect, we can connect with God and that through him and his power working in us, we can achieve our potential that God has designed us for and we can see restoration and all these things that have gone awry and bad in a way that we don't want to, being brought back because of the hope and the glory of Christmas. Amen.